Welcome to the Life of Christ series 4 term 4. This is the last lesson for the year, lesson 36. We are going to pick up where we left off in chapter 16 on page 23 in Mark 3.11. It says, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. In his commentary, William Hendrickson says that the phrase unclean spirits refers to spirits that are morally and spiritually filthy. Evil in themselves, because they urge those whom they, Im- whom they inhabit to commit evil. Uh, I want you to get a feel for this now, okay? So these things, see, there are some people that, and, and you need to really be aware of this. Uh, let me talk to you for a minute about this, in fact. Be very careful how you judge people. Um, there are people that, that will do things that they are extremely sorry for. And they'll do it again. And they'll do it again. And they're extremely sorry for it. If that's happening and they're sorry, sorry for it, it means that there is something spiritual going on. Don't hit them over the head. Because notice what it says here. These, these spiritual things push people to do things, unclean things or, or things that are not good. And then they will tell the person that they're asking prayer from, Oh, why should you pray for them? Because they're always doing the wrong thing. And you know that we're going to change and blah, 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 blah. You can't listen to that because that never will come from God. Do you understand? I have one word for you in how to approach people like that. Compassion. Always pray for them. Always do your very best for them. Understand that they might be fighting something that is harassing them and that is bullying them. I can use that word. Okay. And causing them to do things that they are really... See, if, if they did it and you try to say, you know, that's the wrong thing to go, you know what, you live your life your way, I'll live mine my way. My way. Uh, okay, now we have a problem. <laughs> okay? That person wants to do whatever. But if a person comes to you and I don't care how many times they've done something wrong, if they're sorry, it means that they're fighting. It means that this is not necessarily something that they are um, wanting to do. It is something that they're being pushed to do. So to speak. And you really need to be aware of that. And that's what, that's what I want to bring out in what is being said here. Do you understand? And you also need to know the difference. You need to know the one that is just, you know, kind of trying to fool you and the one that is genuine as well. Okay? Can I say this? Always treat them like they're genuine until you know from God something else. Can we get an amen on that? Okay? Which means, uh, basically 100% of the time, always trust what they say and go with it. And, and don't listen to those spirits that says, Yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe they're not. So just shut up. Amen? Because at least you have an opportunity to pray for them. That's awesome. That's huge. Amen? Okay. And can I say this as well? These are the sort of people later on in life will do the same for others. Whatever seed you sow in their life, that is what will grow in their life. And that will be a fruit of your life. Amen? Amen. Alright, back to this. So he says again, it refers to morally and spiritually filthy, uh, filthy, uh, morally and spiritually filthy, evil in themselves because they urge those whom they inhabit, listen again, okay, to commit evil. They urge those people. John MacArthur further explains that the tense of the Greek verb saw from the phrase whenever they saw him, listen to this now, means that they were, uh, there were many times when demons, 
looked at Jesus and contemplated the truth of his character and identity. And why they then go on to exclaim, you are the son of God. <laughs> can we, can we uh, use our imagination for a minute? Okay, so this is what's happening. So Jesus comes up to the person, he's, he's okay, a demon-possessed person. And, and, you know, this thing has always had the upper hand whenever people come at them. Okay, because they're demonic, they're, you know, there's a certain power attached to it. Except when Jesus comes. And it would, <laughs> it would be like this thing kind of tilts its head sideways and goes, this one's different. And starts to look. And I just want you to imagine them just leaning close to Jesus going, Oh my God, you're the Son of God! You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, notice they exclaim. Do you understand the word exclaim? Okay. It means it's not a quiet thing. It is a realization. Today we'd say they freaked out. Because suddenly they realize who they're dealing with. Because all things were created by Him and for Him. And these things are no longer for Him. So the Creator can uncreate. You know? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? He can do what He wants. Man. But it's not their time yet. Which is why they say it's not our time. You can't do the thing that you know, we know you can do. Sort of a thing. But I'm going beyond I should, where I should now. Alright, let's get back to this. <laughs> it is also interesting to note... That these unclean spirits could not stand in his presence. But they all, without exception, without exception, fell down before him. Showing us that evil definitely cannot stand in the presence of God. Evil cannot stand in your presence. Did you hear me? I want you to take that beyond just the physical, the natural here. I want you to take it to a place where... You need to be the light of the world to such a degree that even if people come with bad attitudes, and when they enter your house, that attitude goes. Hmm? And they're at peace in your house. And as soon as they get back in their car, well, whatever. <laughs> okay? You can pray for them, and I suggest you do, but I'm just saying, it needs to be that way. It needs to be, and, and you know, I've, I've, I've heard this happening where people sort of say, you know, when we come into your house, I think this has happened with, with you too, that uh, people come in and they go, there's just something different about this place. It's just a peace around here. You know, and, and, it, and it settles people. Because those demonic things that have harassed them all through the week suddenly can't enter into this place. And can I say this? That doesn't need to be just a church. It needs to be your house. Your house needs to be a temple of God. While you, yourself, are a temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Okay. Therefore, the more time you spend in His presence, the more difficult and uncomfortable you make it for evil to be around you. Whether physical, that's evil people, or spiritual, that's evil spirits. Amen? Let's move on. I'd like to preach on that some more, but I think you get where I'm coming from. Okay, verse 12. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. I love that about Jesus. Now the reason I believe, okay, I put in quotes, I believe, he did this was because the religious leaders were spreading false rumors that Jesus and demons were working together. Okay? And so having these demons crying out that he is the son of God wasn't going to help the situation. Can you just imagine? They'd go, see, see, they're working with him. Because they know who he is. Then he is in league with the devil. And you know, religious people and people that want to twist the truth can do it so well. The devil is a master at twisting truths. 
He can make the innocent look incredibly guilty and take a guilty person and make him look innocent. That's why don't have a conversation with the devil. You just cast it out. Say, shut up, get out. Amen? Amen. All right. Here again we see that even those things that may be considered good, if they originate in the kingdom of darkness, and especially come by way of demons, will ultimately hurt you and work against you. Now, there is so much in that one statement, family. I don't know the number of times, and I'm not going to take a long time, but I just want to share this one thing with you. The number of times where something will come your way that looks like God. Hmm? And it's one of those oh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, and you know, we think you're special, so we're going to only do this with you. You know what? When you hear that, walk away. Just walk away. You're not that special. <laughs> okay? Listen, man, you are special, but not in the way they're saying. They are looking to especially take advantage of you. Do you hear me? And you don't want that. And you know, I, I, and always realize something. The devil will always um, cater to your ego. He'll go, you are special, you're amazing. Everybody, they passed over a hundred people just to get to you. Can I just say this? And I pray you hear this and I'll move on. When God blesses you, you won't need to make any decisions about it, so to speak. It will just be a blessing that comes your way. And you'll be like, oh, wow, thank you, God. Do you hear me? That's different to, oh, we have an opportunity. Oh, come over here. Sit in this little quiet corner in, in, in where nobody can see us and let us talk to you. It's not God. Did you get that? Please keep an eye on things like that. I'm just saying that. Amen? All right, let's move on. That now concludes Mark's gospel account. Although in Matthew's parallel account, Matthew goes on to insert a paragraph in order to bring out the fact that Jesus was their Messiah. And how everything he was and everything he did actually fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And so, following Jesus' warning to demons not to make him known, it goes on to say now in Matthew chapter 12, verses 16, 16 through 18. I'm going to go through this slowly. I've got a lot of notes inserted. Verse 16, yet he warned them, this time it is the people, not to make him known. Now, this is different to the demons. So, not only did he tell the demons to shut up, but he also told the people, don't say anything. You know, there are times when Jesus would heal someone and say, don't tell anybody that I did this. Okay? Uh, and can I just say that that is exactly opposite to what people do today and in ministries. They want pictures, they want video, let's, you know, let's get this out on our newsletter. Let's everybody, let everybody see what's going on. Hello? Okay? Um, Jesus kind of did the exact opposite. He like did something and said, tell nobody. <laughs> okay? Which is really interesting, which shows you where his heart is. His heart isn't to be exalted. His heart is to help and to serve. Amen? All right. Oh, you know nobody. You know people didn't keep quiet, right? You know they were going to tell anyway. Okay. <laughs> Verse seventeen: that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying. Now this is from Isaiah forty-two and verse one: "Behold, my servant." Not a designation of lowliness, but one of obedience and divine ability. 
to be able to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, and raise the dead. See, in order to serve, remember what Jesus said at one point in time? He said, the greatest of all is the servant of all. Do you know why? Because in order to serve, you need to know everything. I can't, for example, if Jamie is just, you know, a guru at um, computer-related things. Let me put it that way. Okay? Uh, and, and he was running into some problems. I, you know, I might say, well, I would love to help you, but I don't know what all is going on. Well, I'm not a servant of all. Because I don't know what all is going on. However, if I had a knowledge of what he was doing, and you know, I'm looking at him and thinking, he really needs help. I can go to him and say, can I help? And he'll go, well, do you know anything about this? A little bit. Tell me what it is. Maybe I can help. And at least the door is open for a conversation to take place. I can say, well, have you tried this? Or maybe thought about that. And it's funny how sometimes, you know, somebody can bring in a whole different perspective and you go, oh, that's perfect. That's what I need. And you're there. That's the kind of servant. And then Susie is in the kitchen. Not that that's your thing, but I'm just using examples, different examples, okay? She might be in the kitchen and she's, you know, she's doing something food related. And she cooks really well too. Okay, all right? And, and, and you know, she's going, ah, I forgot something. And I go, did you remember to put this in? And she goes, oh, that's it. See, I'm a servant of all. That's what Jesus, that's what, when you see the word servant, you don't see a lowly position. You see a person that has skills that can help people wherever they need help. Do you understand? And that's why Jesus said, the greatest of all is the servant of all. Somebody that can actually understand what is needed to help someone and serve them in that way. Amen? Okay. So he says, Behold my servant, all right, whom I have chosen, meaning that this is God's choice, Beloved, uh, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, meaning that God was pleased with everything Jesus said and did. This also happens to be almost word for word what God said at Jesus' baptism. If you look at it in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, I've actually got it down as a footnote. It says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven, at the bottom of the page, uh, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so this is just perfect word for word. And it goes in to say, I will put my spirit upon him. And that in John 3.34, we're told that it was without measure, meaning it was unlimited power. All right? So he says, which again, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. I love that. Listen, Leon Morris explains that this last phrase is saying that among the Jews, the nations generally were despised since the people of God saw themselves specially favored. We still get that today. Okay, but the prophet, capital T, capital P, okay, regarded all the world's people as having worth before God. And it will be the function of the servant, capital S, of whom he writes to make sure that justice is finally done for them. Amen? Because so much of the time, and we saw this, I've written an example, we saw this uh, when Jesus cleared out the temple. And more specifically, the court of the Gentiles within the temple. Because that's where all of it was going on. Oh yeah, the Jews would not desecrate their space. Hello? But the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles, yeah, let's just do everything we want in there and have cow droppings and everything else. You know, that was not a sweet smelling savor. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Alright? And remember, he did it twice as well. 
First at the beginning of his ministry uh, in John chapter 2 and then again at the end of his ministry in Mark uh, chapter 11. Saying in Mark eleven seventeen, remember he said, this is, is, is it not written, my house shall be called, listen, a house of prayer for just the Jews. Because that's how the Jews saw it. No. He said, for all nations. Amen. And he said, but you have made it a den of thieves. Alright. So Jesus came to bring the kingdom and kingdom justice to all people. And he began it in the house of God itself. Which was awesome. Now, returning to Matthew twelve eighteen, What's interesting is that the entire passage of scripture is very similar to what John the Baptist said about the Lord in John 3 and verses 34 and 35. And that is, for he is sent by God. He speaks... God's words, for God's Spirit is upon him without measure or limit. That was a scripture I quoted before. The Father loves his Son, and he has given him authority over everything. I love that, uh, you know, the Baptist says, the Father loves his Son. You know what he's saying? Be careful how you treat the Son. Because you are dealing with something that the Father loves. You want to get on God's bad side? You go do something bad to him. And isn't that exactly what they did? To further prove his case, Matthew goes on to quote Isaiah 42 and verse 2 by saying in Matthew 12, 19, He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Now this is what I was talking about before. In other words, Jesus would not be a political rabble-rouser, stirring up a revolution or forcing his way into power, even though Leon Morris does point out that it does not mean, of course, that he will not strongly oppose those who do evil, but it it affirms in strong terms that he will not try to impose his will on everybody, regardless of their desires. He will do his work without noise and publicity. Amen. Did you get all that? All right. And that's really important. You know, let me just share this once again. Jesus, if you could describe him, I think some of the terms that I would use was a very strong individual. Okay. But there was a peace about him. Can I say it that way? Okay. There was a peace of God that was on him constantly. And people felt safe around him. Even prostitutes, even tax collectors who would feel unsafe around religious people, around Jesus, they felt safe. They would be convicted for their sin, but not judged and put down. They would be encouraged to lead a better life. Do you hear what I'm saying? So while others put them down, Jesus would always lift them up. He would always try to bring them to a place where they would recognize what they were doing and basically say to them in in these kind of terms, if I could say it in a very general way, you're better than this. Get it together. Okay? And you know what? When you encourage people like that, you know what? They go, yeah, you know what? I am better than this. Instead of saying, you shouldn't be doing that. You know better. You're never going to change. That's not going to do anything for them. Are you all here? And so we really need to, you know, we need to do what Jesus did. And we need to do it in, in the, with the demeanor that he did. It was always, there was a quietness about him. But when he saw hypocrisy, when he saw somebody trying to just get an advantage over someone else, or do damage to someone, you know, and, and they were doing it in a way that they were going to get something out of it at the expense of someone else, that's when he would turn around and say, you... Who, have, who, you know, who is without sin, you cast the first stone and look at them and go, I know what you've done. 
Hmm? And watch them all drop their rocks and walk off. That's the kind of person he was. And then he'd look. A person that would not tolerate sin, but would love the sinner. Listen to me. Remember the woman who was taking adultery? You know, she was a sinner. Okay, can we? Okay, all right. But what the, and the people that were judging her believed that her sin was greater than theirs. What Jesus did was let them know that they were worse than she was in what they were doing. Instead of trying to help and encourage this woman, they were judging her, which is what people tend to do all the time. Which is why Jesus said in Matthew, I believe, 7 1 in Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to see, all right, he said, Judge not that you not be judged. He said, that For those, the same way that you judge others, you'll be judged yourself. So, how do you want people to judge you? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right? So, what do I do? I don't judge people. Oh, I get mad and everything, but I don't judge people. I might be disappointed, but I don't judge people. You hear what I'm trying to say? Because judgment is from the heart. Just like forgiveness is. Amen? And you need to keep your heart in a place where it can move the mountains as you need them to go. Alright, let me just move on now. So following this, Matthew goes in to say, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. This time quoting Isaiah 42 and verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. Well, we all know what that means, so let's move on to the now. (laughs) In his commentary, Leon Morris explains that reeds grew plentifully and were cheap. Okay, keyword. The reed, growing by millions in every marsh and riverside, was a type of commonplace insignificance. The natural thing was to discard an imperfect reed and replace it with a better one. You know where this is going now, don't you? But the Lord's servant does not break or discard those who can be likened to shattered or bruised reeds. The same truth is brought out with reference to a smoking vic or a flax. Okay, or flax. A vic or flax that functioned imperfectly was a nuisance. It would not give out good light and its smoldering release released a certain amount of smoke. The simple thing was to snuff it out and throw it away. A little bit of flax did not cost much, so replacing it was the normal procedure. It took time and patience and the willingness to take pains to make anything useful out of a bruised reed or a smoking flax. People in general would not take the trouble. Okay, did you get all of that? The fact of the matter was, it took a great deal of time and patience to make anything useful out of a bruised reed or a smoking flax, with very few, if any, willing to commit to do it. Therefore, as William Hendrickson explains, the real significance of the bruised reed, which he will not break, and the smoldering wick or smoking flax, which he will not quench, is that he will treat with profound and genuine sympathy. Society does that with people today. They just get rid of things that they don't want you anymore. You know, you're not up to task, see you later, bye. You know, that's the end of it. And, and we walk past so many of these broken reeds, okay, uh, just on the streets a lot of times. And, and some of those are in our office and in workplaces, let alone our homes, okay? All right. And sometimes, you know, we, we can get so familiar with people that we, we almost become 
um, hardened to situations. Can I say that that way? You know, we, we just don't let it affect us. All right. Can I? You know, l- let me just say this. I know that we need to be careful. You know, how many different ways we get pulled, but we can always pray. And I don't mean that as a cop out. I mean that in real terms. In terms of God, I can't do anything about this, but God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you open a door to get what this person needs into their life. That you find the person that has the time and the resource, that has what they need to minister to them. And when I say minister, I don't mean like the word of God. It might be money, it might be food, whatever it is. It might be an encouraging word. Do you understand? Amen? And so we can do that. Whenever I pass someone on the road, I may not stop, but I can pray, and I do often pray, and I say, you know, Lord, because, you know, a lot of times we've got places to get to, and sometimes we're not on time. <laughs> can I say that? Okay. So we're trying to get somewhere we should have been five minutes ago. But that shouldn't stop us from praying while we're getting there. Amen? And that's, that is what I'm talking about. You can make a difference. But brother, how do you know anything is going to happen? We walk by faith, not by sight. You pray, you open the door. Now, you, at least you allow God into that situation if He wasn't already invited in. Amen? And, and you all don't know what's going to happen. That's up to God. You do your part. Like, like I was saying, I said once in prayer, your part is the prayer part. His part is the manifestation part. You don't try to manifest things. <laughs> Amen? You do the prayer part, that's it. It's up to Him to do the rest. Amen? So, once again... Let me reread this, because I've stopped mid-sentence. William Hendrickson again says, The real significance of the Bruce Reed, which he will not break, and the smoldering wick, or smoking flex, which he will not quench, is that he will treat with profound and genuine sympathy, with tender concern, whatever is near to exhaustion. He will impart strength to the weak. To all those who, while pining away, ask him for help. He will heal the sick, see and save tax collectors and sinners, comfort mourners, cheer the fearful, uh, reassure doubters, feed the famished, and grant pardon to those who repent of their sins. He is the true Emmanuel. In other words, while the Pharisees were cold and indifferent, Asking, is it lawful? Is it lawful? And never, is it kind? Is it merciful? Jesus was exactly the opposite, looking for every opportunity to heal, forgive, and restore. Amen. All right, we're going to finish this today. Now notice that the verse ends by saying, till he sends forth justice to victory. Or as the literal text says, until he leads justice onto victory. That means that he will never stop doing what needs to be done until God's justice triumphs completely. And God's will, not religion, is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Matthew finally goes on to conclude, Matthew 12.21, a reinterpretation of Isaiah 42 and verse 4 by saying, And in his name, Gentiles, literally the nations of the world, will trust. Something about him, you could trust him. Amen? Robert H. Mount says that Matthew's universal hope for the gospel is nowhere seen more clearly than here.
And today we see the reality of this with practically every nation having heard the gospel preached to them and coming to put their faith and trust in him and looking forward to significantly better and more blessed future. Finally, in addition to everything else we've learned from these scriptures, William MacDonald gives us this final bit of wisdom, and that is, we learn from the Savior's ministry that need does not constitute a call. There was need everywhere. Jesus depended on instructions from God the Father as to where and when to serve. And so must we. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today.